Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Sandra Shaw Homer, a self-described naturalist. Sandra has lived in Costa Rica for 29 years, where she has taught languages and worked as a translator. Sandra will be joining us from Costa Rica, and we will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey, the beauty of Costa Rica, cultural values, friendship, aging, loss, and the healing power of the natural world from her memoir, Evelio's Garden. Good morning, Sandra. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Johnny. Thank you very much. I'm doing very well. Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. Evelio's Garden is beautifully written. No doubt it is from the heart, for the heart. So congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank you. It uh, it was a life's work. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Childhood. I was very physically active. Um, um, that has... Uh, caused me to have some difficulties later in life. Um, so I, I have a, a, a condition of, of chronic pain. But mm-hmm. um, I, I went to school. Normally, uh, I had a, a typical um, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant uh, religious education. Uh, uh, I went to the University of Pennsylvania, where I got a degree in uh, English, which was totally useless uh, for, in terms of science. <laughs> Finding a career, um, uh-huh. um, and in the last year, my, my senior year, I took a few education courses just in case you know I might be able to teach, and mm-hmm. um, uh, moved up to um, Ithaca, New York, um, where I, I was hoping I could get into a graduate program. But it was during the Vietnam War, and um, there was an incredible uh, competition for places in graduate school, so that guys could get student deferments. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, I couldn't continue in English. I, um, I um, instead went to the education school and took mm-hmm. all of my, my uh, um, non-required courses in the English department. So I had a lot of fun do- doing that. But I got a <laughs> master's degree in education, and I taught for a few years, um, both in Ithaca and then um, uh, in, um, in outside of Philadelphia. And um, then my, I got married, and my husband moved us to Long Island, mm-hmm. where uh, the only work I could get was temporary teaching, which I didn't like at all. So um, our marriage didn't survive that situation very well, and I moved into Manhattan and got some work uh, in, in publishing, um, very low-level secretarial, um, and had a sort of fight my way up the ladder a little bit and mm-hmm. moved moved to another job uh, that took me to back to Philadelphia where I um, was much more comfortable. And um, there I kind of moved into the direction of marketing and public relations and um, um, did a lot of travel around the United States for clients and um, mm-hmm. 
didn't like that very much. It was pretty stressful. But, you know, you're living in the fast lane and you think that that's a good thing, you know, because uh, you just have a certain adrenaline level going all the time. And, and that could be right. kind of addictive. Um, I married again and um, my husband and I were partners in our own small firm, public relations mm-hmm. firm. Uh, which was also a disaster, you know. Never marry your boss was one of the, <laughs> one, of the yeah. <laughs> one of the rules that I broke. And uh, secondly, uh-huh. as as partners, um, our clients knew they could call us at any hour of day or night. It mm-hmm. was an incredibly stressful situation, and we burned out very quickly. Wow! It just so happened we ran into an honorary consul from Costa Rica, and we had lunch with her, and she explained to us how easy it was to get residency here. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband had served in the Army Air Corps in, in Panama during the Korean conflict. Mm-hmm. And so he, mm-hmm. he, liked, he liked Central America, and he thought that yeah, maybe we could go there. So we did mm-hmm. some exploring and um, traveled here and, and um, bought, a, bought a farm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we call it the... The paradise syndrome, you know, you come to a place mm-hmm. that's so mm-hmm. incredibly beautiful, and um, we didn't speak the language. We knew nothing about Costa Rica, and um, we moved in. We sold our business, <laughs> sold our house in Philadelphia, and we moved here in 1990. And mm-hmm. um, I uh, really wanted to learn the language and become bilingual. I pick up languages pretty easily and then I lose them just as fast. Um, <laughs> but this time I wanted I wanted to truly become bilingual. My mother was a great traveler and she taught me that um, learning another language is like opening the door to what could be another magical world. Right. And so I was very keen on on um, um, just adapting, assimilating, mm-hmm. becoming part mm-hmm. of the part of the culture. And uh, it was like moving back in time because this is a rural culture and um, there were hardly any other English-speaking people around. So we really had to dive in. Um, mm-hmm. there, wasn't, there wasn't any option. Um, unfortunately, my husband didn't, didn't dive in very effectively and he, uh, he missed the stature that he had enjoyed mm-hmm. in his profession mm-hmm. in, in Philadelphia. And... Um, just started drinking much too heavily um, all day. Mm-hmm. And um, that put another incredible stress on our, our marriage. And mm-hmm. uh, six years after uh, we moved here, I, I left him. I just um, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't take that anymore. I tried very much to help him. Didn't work. Um, and you, it's very hard to maintain your self-esteem when you're in a situation like that. Um, because the, your partner is blaming you for everything, mm-hmm. and um, that's that's the alcoholic personality, unfortunately. And um, so I was on my own. I was extremely poor. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a car, uh, but I had a horse. And so <laughs> I would saddle her up and wa- you know, walk around on Sunday mornings and visit my neighbors and uh, have a cup of coffee here and there and... Uh, feel that I was at least getting some social contact. Uh, mm-hmm. I was giving lessons. I was teaching piano. I was teaching uh, swimming. I was teaching Spanish. I was do- mm-hmm. doing everything I could to, to earn a little bit of money. And uh, um, the, the the divorce process was long and tortured. Um, but 
finally it, it took place and uh I was free and uh working and uh, living in Costa Rica. I at that point decided to become a citizen. Mm-hmm. Um my father said to me, go, go back to the States and get a job. Well, at that point, I was 50 years old, and mm-hmm. there was no way I was going to go back to the States and get a job. That, so um, I was determined to stay and make a life for myself here. And uh, so eventually I remarried, and um, uh, I got very involved in environmental work here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I helped to found and was on the board of three different environmental organizations and nonprofits and I also was nominated to be the um on the municipal environmental commission which was an opportunity to bring uh governmental institutions together to mm-hmm. deal with um with with problems that um they hadn't been talking to each other before and so getting them together, it was was really effective. It, it, it was a much more creative process, and we managed to close down a, a sawmill that was in the middle of a residential area, for example. And we um, we got a, a, an open air garbage dump closed, mm-hmm. also um, forcing the municipality to find other options for dealing with solid waste. And um, we also stopped some developers who were. Um, moving in around uh, this beautiful lake where I live, um, mm-hmm. who were selling lots without any water. They were uh, you know, just um, scam artists, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they were they they were throwing a lot of money into what would have been gated communities. And um, again, we were able to, to slow them down. And, and fortunately, the worldwide recession took place right around that time. Mm-hmm. And so construction just came to a halt. So that helped to save us. But um, mm-hmm. so uh, finally, uh, I was so busy. It was like having a full-time job with mm-hmm. all this environmental work. So I decided to quit. <laughs> and <laughs> I was you no, know, I was writing for other people all the time, both in Spanish and in English. Mm-hmm. And uh, I needed to start writing for myself. You know, I reached a certain age where mm-hmm. I, I said, "Listen, if I don't do it now, I'm not going to do it." And that story uh, of Avelio's garden kind of developed organically. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to start by simply observing closely the natural world around me. I mean, we lived in mm-hmm. an incredibly biodiverse place, and um, I wanted to learn more about it and and be able to describe the what I was seeing mm-hmm. in a lyrical mm-hmm. way. Uh, at the same time, Avelio uh, showed up and said he wanted to grow an organic garden on our farm. Mm-hmm. Well, I was all for that, um, but I didn't realize that he was going to be trying to involve me in every moment <laughs> of this project. This this, is, this became frustrating and comical at times. Um, but anyway, he took over the book. I was mm-hmm. writing about the natural world around me and, and also beginning to introduce some of my personal story. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. Evelio was there right in the middle of mm-hmm. it. And so I found myself writing about, about him and the garden and his, his frustrations and his ups and downs and, mm-hmm. um, and the, uh, the beginning signs of climate change uh, that was mm-hmm. affecting his, his project. And um, so all of that is kind of mixed together in a, a, a soup of <laughs> yeah. a memoir 
Um, and um, I guess that's pretty much where I am now. I'm 73 mm-hmm. years old, and I'm living by the lake, and I'm just in a, a very happy state. That's fantastic. <laughs> I tell you what, it's amazing because people don't realize, I mean, I guess what I'm talking about is that now we can look back introspectively, so to speak, and start looking at all the life experiences that we have encountered. Good, bad, or ugly, it's not necessarily what it is. It's more about like, wow, I've lived. And sounds like you have lived in many ways within oneself because there is a point in your life where you all of a sudden became aware of the surroundings that you're in. Not that you were not aware before, but you were all of a sudden tuned in. Because going back in time, you were in cities, for lack of a better term. Being in Costa Rica, I'm sure the first time when you got there, besides the language, basically you landed on Mars or on the moon, so to speak. No, you're right, Johnny. You know, it's an incredible change moving to another country. What was the immediate challenge at the beginning? Well, language was certainly a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, we were living uh, in a small village, near a small village, where um, the people were incredibly welcoming. Um, and they just t- took us in hand like we were little children and taught us what we needed to know. Mm-hmm. You move to another country, you don't know anything about how things work. Um, and we were thrown into the language without any choice, basically. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. think learning the language is is critical. And when you're moving into another country and culture, um, the language is the door that, that opens mm-hmm. uh, to um, to your surroundings. And um, and that's the challenge. If you don't if you don't do that, I think that you're never going to really assimilate or adapt happily mm-hmm. to your surroundings. At what point did that transplanted feeling morph into, hey, I am a Costa Rican, besides being a citizen, though? <laughs> because I went through the process in some ways, four months after my 18th birthday, I landed in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and things uh-huh. happened in my life to whereby I never actually went home to Malaysia to visit until 15 years later. So there is a little sort of similarity in a way, just having to live in an area like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy, but I'm doing it. <laughs> yes. I was on a bus coming from San Jose uh, mm-hmm. up the through the mountains uh, to the northern highlands where I live. And um, there's a high mountain pass that bus has to go through, which is um, – uh, incredible number of curves. It's just a, a country road, really, although mm-hmm. it's supposed to be the Pan American Highway. Um, <laughs> and and they're playing mariachi music very loudly on the radio. And mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden, I had this sense of, where am I? <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what am I doing? I'm riding a bus in the middle of a Central American country. And uh, and I'm with all these other people, and we're all happy because we're all going home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was just that a sense of community I felt, and uh, uh, you know that those "where am I" moments uh, really um, grab you. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, so I felt I, I felt so happy. Um, yes, the, the mariachi music 
<laughs> that did it, huh? <laughs> that did it. That did it. <laughs> Wonderful. Looking back during those critical times of assimilation, if you have to do it all over again, what would you do differently? Nothing. Well, I would. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't. I agree with that. I, I, I really agree with that. To be honest <laughs> with you, I do because you walk in door number one, that's what you're going to experience, right? You walk in door number two, that's that experience, so to speak. And the person you are today is the sum collection of all the experiences you have accumulated. <laughs> right. Right. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't have done anything differently. I, I loved it here and um, mm-hmm. still do. So almost 30 years later. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixclouds, Podchasers, Listen Notes, and Hub Hopper. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Sandra Shaw Homer. A self-described naturalist, Sandra has lived in Costa Rica for 29 years where she has taught languages and worked as a translator. We're having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey, the beauty of Costa Rica, cultural values, friendship, aging, loss, and the healing power of the natural world from her memoir, Evelio's Garden. Sandra, let's talk about the book. It's beautifully done. Love the front cover, by the way. Beautiful, beautiful ah. look. Evelio's Garden started out because you wanted to write a story about the organic gardening and so forth, and yet soon it evolved into something more of you and your whole life process where we talked about being able to look back and say, wow, here I am, and this is what I've experienced. So if you could share with us, why do you want to share that story with everyone? I think it's because I'm a writer. Um, mm-hmm. uh, writers tend to want to expose themselves, I think. <laughs> uh, also, uh, you know, reaching a certain age, you have acquired a certain amount of wisdom and, and perspective. Mm-hmm. And looking back on your life, which is what you start doing when you reach a certain mm-hmm. age, um, things start to make sense. They start to to take on a um, uh, a pattern, maybe a pattern of a lot of stupid things you've done or uh, <laughs> a, a pattern of things that have given you joy. And, and yeah. so you just look look back and and um, there's a lot of wisdom in that book, I think, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because it's um, uh, I'm expressing what I have become and what I want uh, to share with others. I don't know why, mm-hmm. why writers want to do that. Um, it, but it is definitely a thing that writers want to do, <laughs> is, to, is tell their own personal story. And mm-hmm. Evelio's Garden was an opportunity to kind of weave my story into something mm-hmm. uh, current and uh, a little dramatic and a little comical. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just uh, sitting down to write a story, um, you know, I was born on such and such a date in such and such a place. And uh, <laughs> then I lived and did this and did that and did the other thing. I think it's much more important to try to to, to combine your story with something else that makes it mm-hmm. uh, move forward um, in a more interesting way. Very interesting. So true, though. I agree. Please give us a synopsis of Avilius Garden. Well, 
it begins with Avelio having a, a terrible time with our dog, Fortuna, <laughs> uh, because she was eating the cucumbers out of his garden. And he was really angry. Um, and <laughs> angry to the point of saying to me, but these are organic. And I said, well, how is a dog supposed to know that? <laughs> <laughs> um, we had, uh, there are chapters uh dealing with uh, cows. We had incursions of cows all the time on the property. We were surrounded by cow pastures. And um, they would go tromping through Avelio's garden, and that would be another crisis. Um, <laughs> he, was, um, he was growing uh, compost using California redworms, mm-hmm. and um, they, they were growing at such a rate, reproducing at such a rate, that he had to build a second... And these boxes looked like caskets, um, <laughs> and <laughs> they, their favorite food, according to Avelia, was horse manure. So um, he would go <laughs> tromping across the road to our neighbor's field and collect collect mm-hmm. horse manure to bring back to feed to these California redworms, and they were producing compost at an alarming rate. I, it was making me quite anxious, actually, because I, <laughs> uh, he wasn't selling the stuff; it was just accumulating in bags mm-hmm. downstairs, and. and uh, um, oh God! How can I go on? There's just so much. Uh, <laughs> he would decide to quit about every three months. He got mad because the weather was <laughs> not cooperating, and and uh, it was as if he took all of these challenges personally. And mm-hmm. um, uh, so every time that happened, I would have to give him a dose of self-confidence. Or uh, one time, I just actually blew up at him, and. Uh, that wasn't fun, but what was happening, <laughs> I realized along the way, was that that we were developing a friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd known Avelio for many, many years, but just uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of remotely. But this whole process of the garden uh, turned us both into lifelong friends, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. I think we both grew quite a lot through that process. Um, but in the middle of all of that, I'm I'm, I'm inserting bits and pieces of my past and mm-hmm. and memories, and also describing because Avelio was a, a he was a campesino, uh, a, a man of the, the countryside. He grew up mm-hmm. on a small holding uh, where the family was completely self-supporting. They lived on what they grew and the animals they kept, and uh, so he had all the skills of living a completely a completely self-sustaining lifestyle mm-hmm. um and it was interesting it, he he didn't associate organic with that until right. about halfway through the process when he realized that what he was doing was what he had been doing all his life mm-hmm. and uh, or at least all through his childhood and um uh, then he became uh a, a kind of different person. He, he he started to get proud and and uh, <laughs> swelled up, you know, with uh, the mm-hmm. idea of mm-hmm. artisan farming. This was artisan farming, not organic farming. And right. um, so at that point, he started doing things right <laughs> and getting the garden going in a, in a correctly organic manner, <laughs> and uh, it worked. And he had a wonderful success for about three months until um, the next door field was, uh, mm-hmm. as, as I said, pasture. 
and periodically they clean pastures by by going through with um with roundup and and spraying it uh to get rid of the the scrub so that the mm-hmm. grass is more available to the cows and um uh, they they happen to do this on a breezy day right along the fence line where Avelio's garden was and it, it killed it just absolutely killed it um it was devastating to both Avelio mm-hmm. and me uh, because it had taken almost a year to reach that point, and there's uh, that's that's the next to last chapter in the in the book. Um, what the last chapter needed to do was uh, was try to save the situation a little bit. Uh, he mm-hmm. had some rice growing in another part of the the garden that was not affected by the spraying of the Roundup, and mm-hmm. um, so he. Uh, I, I tried to encourage him, and, and we—it uh, was hardly enough rice to harvest. But but he went through all the the the, uh, the ritual of the, mm-hmm. the harvesting of the rice and the uh, hulling of the rice, and the uh, it, it was um, a, a moving forward kind of moment mm-hmm. where uh, it was a, a place where I could wrap up the story and. And, uh, and and on a positive note, uh, mm-hmm. I realized that Avelia would find a garden wherever he was and um, and talk a little bit about my own personal garden, whether mm-hmm. it had been well cultivated or not, mm-hmm. and um, time to grow up and move on. Beautifully put. I wanted you to get into that process in terms of we all have our garden. It don't have to be a literally organic garden that we're growing but within ourselves the things our environment the things that we're involved with the the day-to-day things that the chores the the action the activity that we do that's our garden in our life why is this one's for mom you dedicated why this is this one to your mom yes oh to, for mom oh yeah. yeah well it was a pretty dysfunctional family um I guess most families are dysfunctional to some degree or another. <laughs> but um, our mother was uh, an alcoholic and um, mm-hmm. remote in many ways from mm-hmm. me and my sister. And um, we just never could quite touch the heart of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was her way of dealing with an unhappy marriage. And um, when she died, it was um, extremely painful for both my sister and me and, and, uh, it, it took a while for us to realize the many ways in which she had loved us. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's why the book is for my mother. Wonderful. What is your definition of being an environmental activist? Well, <laughs> somebody who works hard to preserve what's around you. You know, the, we planted a thousand trees on our property, for example. We turned wow. a whole lot of acreage into into forest. Mm-hmm. All right, that's that's one thing, and that that forest attracted an incredible number of birds and other other animal life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a, a beautiful, almost spiritual project. The first time I saw uh, an illegally felled, six foot across tree mm-hmm. lying on its side, uh, I just something snapped in me, and I said. This this just can't be. This is wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when I decided to get involved with the various groups that 
I worked with. So we just, it was a matter of, of bringing uh, the, the problems that, that existed in our community and around the lake no. um, to the to the attention of the of the governmental institutions who were supposed to be taking care of these things. You know, Costa Rica has a wonderful uh, environmental legislation, but very little in the way of resources to enforce mm-hmm. it. And so, it uh, you you really need uh, um, NGOs, you know, small mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. groups uh, working in their various parts of the country to to um, to get the authorities to pay attention and, and do what they're supposed to be doing, which is closing down, you know, projects that are, are illegal and so on. So mm-hmm. um, that's, I think that's what activism is. You know, you just get active. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you work at it. How did this whole process invoke the essence of your life's purpose? Because when you look back, being in New York, Philadelphia, and then basically when you first got to Costa Rica, it was sort of that downtime, and yet you found something special. So tell us about that. It was like finding um, my life's work. Now, my life's work is really writing, but I keep postponing mm-hmm. it and doing other things. Right. <laughs> so I've had, <laughs> I've had other life's work, including teaching, a teaching language, for example, um, which I love doing. Um, but it drew me closer to the natural world, mm-hmm. working to protect it. And it led me to Avelio's garden. It really did. So my life's purpose, I, well, I think it's been a useful life. Okay, I'm 73. Mm-hmm. I look back on it and, and think of the ways in which I have been helpful, um, right. both in my, in my work uh, and in and later here in my so-called retirement. Um, my life's purpose. I think um, if there's any takeaway from my life, it would be um, to help other people see and understand the importance of what I call the real world, mm-hmm. not the artificial one that we live in in, in cities. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, if if you don't know it, if you don't see it, how can you have the desire to protect it? I mean, we're looking at a planet now that is uh, basically going to kill us uh, mm-hmm. because of our own dis- destructive behaviors. But if we had been closer to um, nature and been able to appreciate it in a profound, personal way, mm-hmm. I don't think we would. I don't think we would be where we are now. That's very true. Is that too complicated? <laughs> it wasn't a real clear answer. Um, no, not at all, because I think we all go through the process. I mean, it sounds nice and neat, like, well, gee, life's purpose, very nice. Yeah, give me a roadmap here and give me a sheet about life's goals and all that. It's not that quite simple, because I think you're right. As you live, and then you realize that what really invoke your passion, that just sort of move you as a person, and in your case, our son right now having the opportunity to literally, I guess, in the process of living respectfully, and this is just a term that I'm using, like you have a beautiful place in the middle of a forest or a jungle, and then you realize like, wow, this is really good. This is what nature is all about. This is about sharing our space where literally I had a conversation one time with one of my guests, and we talk about when you look at it, 
your human being neighbor is not necessarily your neighbor. Quirrell that happened to live on the tree right by your house is your neighbor, if you think mm-hmm. about it. They were there first before you did. <laughs> That's right. And uh, we are a part of the ecosystem here. We right. have to realize that. Um, and if we don't realize our place in it, uh, our proper place in it, um, you know, we'll destroy it. Right. That's, 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 that's simple. Very, very interesting. So that brings me to the question of the rhythmic flow of your life. It sounds like you have lived a wonderful and yet lots of interaction from the city to the beautiful country of Costa Rica. Where are you at right now? Well, I'm looking at my last years. And um, as I look back at at rhythm, um, it's it's a little herky-jerky, I think, in some ways. (laughs) Um, I don't think it was driven by any particular purpose. Uh, Mm -hmm. The the purpose tended to change. You know, at one time I wanted to climb the corporate ladder. At another Mm -hmm. time I wanted to to write short stories. Uh, At another time I wanted to move to a different country. Um, it was just a, sort of a bumpy ride, actually, especially mm-hmm. given three marriages and um, two divorces. And um, yeah, it, it has not been a smooth, smooth ride. It's been a roller coaster. And finally, uh, sitting down and looking at uh, a tree or a flower mm-hmm. has brought me an in, inner peace that I never could have imagined having before. So I'm, uh, I find a real spiritual strength in the natural world, and that's where I'm ending up, and that's a good place to be. Definitely. Beautiful. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixclouds, Podchasers, Listen Notes, and Hub Hopper. My guest is Sandra Shaw-Homa, a self-described naturalist. Sandra has lived in Costa Rica for 29 years, where she has taught languages and worked as a translator. We're having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey, the beauty of Costa Rica, cultural values, friendship, aging, loss, and the healing power of the natural world from her memoir, Evilio's Garden. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Sandra, in reading Evilio's Garden, what came up to me that is so powerful is faith, hope, and love. How do faith, hope, and love contribute to you? I've always had some kind of faith. Uh, as I mentioned, I had a, a pretty typical Protestant um, religious education, and then mm-hmm. I became very agnostic for a lot of years. Um, mm-hmm. but I just saw in, in organized religion there was just a little <laughs> bit too much hypocrisy for my taste. So I, um, I've been a, a little bit of a searcher, um, but I've always had some kind of connection to the divine, mm-hmm. uh, whether I, whether I worked at it or not. Um, I went through a period um, a number of years back where some friends were lending me books and, and um, uh, the, the power of now, you know, Eckhart Tolle's books. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and others that really helped me focus on uh, not exactly meditation, but um, 
because I don't I don't sit, sit and meditate easily. Mm-hmm. But looking at a tree, studying its bark, the striations of its bark, and looking up at the foliage, and and then touching the tree, and and even putting my ear to the tree, um, it's it's alive, and it's it's uh, it's part of the creation in which we live. So I, I've become much more spiritually. Um, enriched, if you will. So that, that's the faith part. Um, if you are in that state, you are feeling grateful. Gratitude is, I have to say, the, the watchword of my life now. I, I can drive into town and, and, and pass any number of beautiful things and just instantly feel grateful. Um, and I think that that's, that's a kind of a prayer Mm-hmm. Uh, these expressions of gratitude, um, faith, and uh, and and that's love. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And what was what was the third thing? Hope. Yeah. No. Hope. Well, if there's any hope at all for us as a race, it's um, it's recognizing our place on the planet, and um, and trying to undo the damage we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's I, I am a hopeful person, although it's very hard right now in the middle of this <laughs> coronavirus. Uh, yes. So many people are are being affected. It's it's and so many deaths. It's just awful. Here in Costa Rica, uh, the Ministry of uh, Health has taken extreme measures, and we're a mm-hmm. tiny little country. We have at the moment sixty nine cases. That doesn't sound like a lot. But they're closing down everything. They've closed the borders to everyone except citizens and residents. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, they've um, they've cut off uh, imports from China. They've mm-hmm. um, they're closing down bars and casinos and uh, um, restaurants and swimming pools. Any place where people gather, they're shutting right. down. We have what uh, we, around Easter time we have what they call Semana Santa, Holy Week, and mm-hmm. there's something going on every day that that week, including processions and and mm-hmm. people gathering and so they're, they're they're turning that off too so it's it's really um people are very sad um we're not allowed oh, Costa Ricans always greet with a kiss always mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we're not allowed to do that anymore you know we have to bump elbows instead <laughs> so people are kind of taking it personally they're you know they're very <laughs> sad that they can't be expressing yeah. themselves the way they normally do so it's it's yeah you know, it's a sad time, but um, I'm hopeful that it will pass, and um, that we won't be too affected. Uh, I'm kind of self quarantining, uh, mm-hmm. not completely, but uh, I live alone in a remote area, and mm-hmm. um, I don't have a lot of personal contact with others, and so you know I'm I'm hoping I'll be okay. I take precautions, but and people are uh, getting it. I think. Um, I hope that's true in, in the states. They got such mm-hmm. a slow start up there. Um, right. Uh, when I read about Italy, I just uh, I, I'm just so sad, so mm-hmm. incredibly sad. So it's you know, hope is difficult, but when they're singing on the balconies in Italy, you know, you have to say to yourself, yeah. okay, there's a, there's a human spirit there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so as long as that's alive, you know, I think we'll be okay. So true. Very true. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading Avila's Gun? Um, just a, 
a better understanding of the importance of the natural world. You know, if you um, if you live in the city and you don't even have a house plant, you know, how can you relate? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I think it's important for us to get out and be in a natural environment, whether it's a park or um, you know one of those little best pocket parks they call them in New York City. Look for mm-hmm. something green. Green is a very very powerful color. Yeah, it really is. It draws you in, and it's just it's, it's a happy color. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, if if pe- reading my book, if people can begin to understand a little bit better how important the the natural world is is to us as humans, that's I guess what I would like them to take away. I know we all live in the city, and sometimes we take it for granted about the natural world trees and everything else and your book does create the ability for people to actually set up their own little what i would call getaway for themselves in their backyard if they chose to do so Mm -hmm. or go to a park or go on a hike or um Mm -hmm. i know people can't gather now anymore but um right try to try to find some individual connection to it right Please share with us your other books. Oh, okay. My first um, was actually um, uh, a kind of personal log of um, a trip I took on a freighter around the South Pacific. Uh, this was like jumping off a cliff for me, but it was I was sixty something, and I I thought, well, um, if I'm I've always wanted to be on a, on a ship at sea. Uh, the idea of a cruise ship with 5,000 passengers and full-time food and and noisy entertainment just didn't appeal to me at all. So, um, uh, you know, I grew up with around water. I mean, I just, I'm, a real, I'm a real water baby. And uh, my father had a series of small boats. And um, so I, I, I just always just loved the ocean. So I thought a freighter would be the best way to, to, to achieve what I wanted to achieve. And I wrote about it. As it was as it was happening, so um, the idea was to write um, what was going on, and then when I reached a port, uh, get to an internet cafe and and send installments back to friends and family. Uh, that wasn't always possible. Uh, in fact, there were very few chances to get on onto an internet connection. But uh, as uh, when I got home and I looked at at all of the, what I'd written, I thought, well, you know, there could be a book here. So I worked on it for about six months and and uh, published it on Amazon. And so it's available there. It's called Letters from the Pacific, 49 Days on a Cargo Ship. Um, it was a fascinating and wonderful experience. And uh, travel memoir is fun for me because uh, writing about what, you know, where I am and what I'm exploring mm-hmm. and seeing and hearing uh, just enhances the experience for me. So I did a second travel memoir called Journey to the Joie de Vivre. Joie de Vivre in French means joy of life. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I wanted to go around uh, parts of Europe and visit friends. And uh, I took another freighter trip across the Atlantic. Uh, I really enjoy that mode of travel. <laughs> and um, and so I spent a few a few months in Europe and um, was able to meet my sister, in fact, in Paris for part of a mm-hmm. week. That was wonderful. Um, 
and then came back on a freighter, which was really a rust bucket of a freighter. It was a, a pretty <laughs> awful. But, <laughs> but that that book got published also, uh, Journey to the Joie de Vivre. And uh, mm-hmm. then there was, um, I had some pretty awful medical uh, situations uh, in mm-hmm. the decade of my 60s. And one of them was uh, the discovery that my platelets don't really react the way they're supposed to. I was in mm-hmm. surgery uh, for uh, to fuse some vertebrae in my neck, mm-hmm. and um, uh, all of a sudden I just started bleeding profusely all over. And wow. uh, I had been taking I had been taking uh, Plavix, which is an anticoagulant, mm-hmm. uh, an mm-hmm. anti no they call it an antiplatelet drug is what they call mm-hmm. it, which just you know it just sounds very dangerous, and it is. I'd been taking it uh, because I have um, I had some heart trouble. Um, mm-hmm. And um, they they say to stop taking it a couple of weeks before you know the surgery. So I did, but that didn't. My plate was just didn't get the message. And so um, I developed a huge hematoma in my throat. It, shut, it threatened to shut down my trachea. I was in intensive wow. care on a respirator for for ten days. And um, you know, you you you're, when you're on a machine like that, you really can't do anything. Right, um, but I I did have a little after I was you know got through being so heavily sedated I I started saying to myself well I'm just, just going to write about all this in my head <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so I that that kept me entertained it truly did and mm-hmm. interestingly I re- remembered the detail in such so vividly that. Uh, I was able to write about it afterwards, um, almost exactly as I experienced it. I was taking a lot of steroids. I, I went into hallucinations mm-hmm. all the time, and so I've described the hallucinations and and um, uh, the, the doctors and the nurses and the, the, everything that happened around me. Uh, and so I call that the magnificent Doctor Wow, the head of uh, <laughs> intensive the head of intensive care was a, a Chinese uh, d- extraction. And mm-hmm. um, uh, just a, a wonderful doctor. I mean, I had, he really pulled me through, I think. And so I, I thought of him at one point in a kind of hallucinatory way as uh, one of those Chinese ancestor portraits, you know, with the, the, the <laughs> robes and the, the formal yeah. clothes. And, uh, you know, it, it just uh, so I wrote that him <laughs> I, I wrote a little note to him and he just loved it and he said oh Dr. Wow <laughs> Dr. Wow <laughs> and I thought okay th- th- I, have to, I have to write this book it's a short book I only published it as a, a Kindle um, it's only, it was only about 65 pages or something so it wasn't long enough for a real production mm-hmm. but yeah that's the, that's the third little book um, The Magnificent Dr. Wow and they're all mm-hmm. available on Amazon and then finally uh, what I think of as my magnum opus Evelio's uh, Garden Wonderful Where can someone go to buy your books get more information about you and keep up with your latest happenings Okay um, Amazon of course for the books uh, as well as Barnes & Noble and uh, Powell's.com. I don't know if you know that store up in Portland, Oregon. It's just one of the best, biggest bookstores on the planet. And um, so I'm thrilled that it's listed there. So it, for mm-hmm. purchasing online right now is, is where they can find it. 
as well as the other books. Um, I, I, of course, I have a Facebook page for me and as well as for mm-hmm. each of the books. And um, there's, um, I'm on Goodreads, uh, I have Facebook, uh, I already mentioned Facebook, um, and I have a blog, and it's called writingfromtheheart.net, writing from the heart, all one word, dot mm-hmm. net. And uh, I update that pretty frequently. And um, uh, there's an author page on Amazon. I mean, you know, I'm everywhere. So you can mm-hmm. find me pretty quickly. <laughs> Wonderful. How has writing Avilio's Garden impacted you personally? Because this book is a little bit different comparatively to the other books. Oh, very different. Mm-hmm. Uh it has given me a great deal of joy to see how well it's being received. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're a writer, you, you're so hesitant to to put yourself out there in some way. You, you know, as I, I said, you writers want to expose themselves, but on the other hand, they don't want to sell. They don't want to sell books. They don't want to, <laughs> they don't want to get into the marketing part of it. You know, right, it's, uh, right. it's scary. It is. It's very scary to you know try to approach agents or publishers and. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so there's just a tremendous resistance you have to overcome to, to do that. And uh, how has it impacted me? Uh, I think mm-hmm. that I have finally written my my the book I was meant to write. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm going to write another one. I have I had a novel started uh, mm-hmm. a number of years back, and um, about 120 pages of it. I just I wasn't sure where it was going, so I stopped. Um, I might pick that up again and see if it it, it looks like it might be going someplace. Mm-hmm. But um, and I I write poetry. I've, I've published some poems and uh, some little bits of creative nonfiction here and there, and mm-hmm. I may continue to do that. So uh, you know, the writer writers can't really be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Very, very interesting. So what is next for you besides fiddling around with love poem and so forth? Is there anything major on the horizon? I might take another trip. Um, Mm -hmm. The the freighter travel um, uh, usually has an age limit, and I'm getting Mm. very close to that limit because they don't have doctors on board. They have ah, um, uh, interesting. You know, they, they, the the second officer is the medical officer, and so he's trained to handle yeah. emergencies. And, and uh, there's they have quite a, a, a medicine chest on board, uh, mm-hmm. including mm-hmm. antibiotics and uh, anything that might be needed for an emergency. Um, but they don't have a doctor, and so they you have to be, be insured for everything, including a helicopter liftoff. Uh, mm-hmm. um, before you get on board, and um, uh, but yeah, the age limit for most most lines is seventy five, so uh, I don't have a lot of time left. And um, there's a there's a freighter that leaves from Costa Rica mm-hmm. and goes to China, several ports mm-hmm. in China, and ends up in Seattle, where my sister lives, and that just sounds perfect. Oh wow, that oh, sounds cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm. I don't know. I might seriously look into that. Uh, I don't have a lot of time left to plan it, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a what? At least a month trip, isn't it? Oh, at least. Yeah, at least um, longer. I imagine the Pacific yeah. is a pretty big ocean. 
Right, and, uh, right. What I, what I love about the ocean is that it's just eternal. You know, it's just yeah. You look out there and there is nothing. Right. Nothing except right. sky and sea, and it's just right. um, it really draws you in. Uh, it's well. So I'm. It makes us again. realize how small we are. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> You're absolutely right, Johnny. We are very, very small. Yeah, We've, yeah. By the way, how did you get on those freight? Is there a place that you could go and <laughs> book to get on the freight? <laughs> there Both? are, in, in, in fact, there are travel agencies that specialize in um, no kidding uh, in, in freighting freighter travel. My favorite is the, called the Cruise People, and they're located in England. Um, really? But they're online. Wow. Yeah. They're online, so there are. I mean, you look at the listing of things that they they've got, and you just, yeah. oh my God, you want to travel the world? Uh, it's just. I imagine they don't have any, for lack of a better term, parties or whatever that is, because it's strictly work, isn't it, on those freight boats? Well, there's always a barbecue, and I have oh. to tell you that most of the crew are, are Filipinos. Filipinos just love karaoke, and so. Oh. Yeah, There's yeah. always a, either it's a birthday party or it's a barbecue because you know crews need a chance to to let off steam. Yeah, right, right, right. Wind up. Yeah, wind it's, it's, down. It's yeah. hard work, especially right. port work. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, and of course I've been to a number of these parties and they are hysterically funny. <laughs> they really are. They are wonderful. Um, yeah. Uh, the crews have always treated me um, with great respect, uh, but they've also invited me into their into their mm-hmm. lives to some degree. Right, and right. Uh, so that's been a wonderful experience too. Are there a lot of people been, that does this? But the other, there, there are a number. Uh, the, I've, there was only one trip I took where there were, I was the only passenger on board and that was a challenge. But oh, really? the, uh, most wow. of the time I've met up with some other very interesting people. I think um, mm-hmm. people sort of self-select to be freighter travelers. Uh, they're pretty interesting folks. Many of them are, are great travelers and uh, have lots of good stories to tell. Yeah. That's very interesting. One of the, my best experiences, though, always mm-hmm. when I'm on a, a ship like that is to go to the bow because mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a freighter is a pretty noisy animal. Um, oh, when really? You're in the, when you're in the bow, you can't hear any of that. It's totally silent. All wow. you can hear is is the breeze created by the ship's movement through the water. And it is just one of the most peaceful, loving things mm-hmm. to do for yourself, uh, is just to stand there and absorb mm-hmm. the quiet and the sense of eternity. Oh, I imagine so, because like you say, sky, water, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Another thing, at night, I would think it would be like totally awesome looking into the skies. Oh, yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. One night, Venus was so bright mm-hmm. that she carved a path of light across the ocean just the way the moon does. Yeah. It was an extraordinary vision. Wow, that's very interesting. Sandra, as we close this hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? A recipe for living. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's around you. Live uh, in a way in which you are observant of what's around you and try to uh, find peace. I think it's only through close observation of, of our surroundings that we can 
truly find um, a, a kind of spiritual comfort and, and peace. So that would be my recipe. Wonderful. Well, Sandra, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, August 4th. My guest will be Mel Caspin Blumey. Mel is the former head of copy at Disney Consumer Products, where she created in-depth storytelling copy for products for Disney, Pixar, Lucasfilm, and Marvel. Mel and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest children's book titled Screens, Beans, and Quarantines. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Sandra, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Thank you so much, Johnny. I've appreciated knowing you. Good conversation. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.